inspire us to become more like you and your precious son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. I felt like a king. It was a beautiful day. The sun was shining. The golf course was open. It was a great day. I stepped up onto the tee box of a short par three, the 11th hole. I chose my club carefully, a smooth nine iron. There were lots of people watching and I was feeling a little bit nervous, but I felt like a king. I stood up to the ball. I swung smoothly, which is a win in and of itself. I struck the ball which is a win in and of itself. And then it shot into the air and sailed straight, which is another win. And then I could see from a distance at land on the green, centimetres from the hole. Wow. I quietly bent down, picked up my tea, tipped my cap to all the people watching as if that was exactly what I meant to do all along and then walked to the green. I felt like a king. Now, I went on and missed the putt. But anyway, in that moment, it was so good. And there's nothing better than hitting an incredible shot in golf. The only thing better is when other people see it because you feel like a king. I wonder when you last felt like a king. Maybe it was when you were at work and you started your project late but you still knocked it out of the park. Oh, you felt like a king. Maybe it was when you reverse parked your trailer in your driveway and you felt like a king. Maybe it was when you scored the winning goal for your team. Granted, not this season, kids, but even previous seasons, you felt like a king. Or maybe it's just you managed to log into a Zoom meeting for the first time without any hassles. Oh, you feel like a king when you do that. But there's a fine line, isn't there, between power like a king and pride for we know it doesn't take too long for people with power to abuse it to use it to their own advantage often at the expense of others we see it in politics we see it in business we see it in family life even on mother's day and we can even see it in the church sadly as well so it raises the question is it right to pursue power? Is it right to pursue greatness? Is it appropriate to display greatness so other people can see your greatness? Are those amazing feelings that we feel when we do something great, are they even good? Are they appropriate? Well, today we begin a new sermon series in the book of Esther. And as it was mentioned before, Esther is set during the great Persian Empire, during the reign of King Ahasuerus, or often known as King Xerxes, in the middle of the 5th century BC. And Esther is a unique book of the Bible. It's the only book of the Bible that never mentions the name of God, Yahweh. And God never speaks or does anything visible in the book of Esther. No miracles no prophecies. In many ways, God seems absent in the book of Esther. And in this supposed absence of God, there wasn't a short supply of others who wanted to step into that power vacuum and take his position. And one such man was King Ahasuerus of Persia himself. Oh, he was a power player. 
We're told of his power in the opening verses of Esther chapter 1. And we won't have time to read through the entire chapter again. So forgive me for that, but just skim it along as we go through the chapter together. But in the opening few verses of Esther chapter 1, we're told of King Ahasuerus' power, that his reign extended from India to Cush. In other words, it's like saying from where the sun rises in the east to where it sets in the west. That is how far this king's power extended. And as the verses begin, we see that this king wants to show off his incredible power and his greatness. And he does it in a very opulent display. We're told in verse 1 to 4 that he invites all the army, the noble, the officials, all the important people in his kingdom to come into Susa for an incredible party. An incredible party. We're told that this feast goes for 180 days. That's six months. And then at the end of that six months, we're told it was followed by an even more intense seven-day bender where all the important people could drink as much as they wanted for seven days. Can you imagine going to a wedding reception where there's no limit on the drinking, not just for one night, but for seven? Try not to imagine it. It would be horrible. And that's what the king is doing here. Why does he hold such an epic party? Well, historically and politically, we know that he did this to try and shore up support for his next military conquest. But the writer of Esther gives just a a much simpler view of the situation. Have a look at verse 4. We're told this. The reason the king did this banquet and this party was to display the magnificent splendor of his greatness. That's why he did it to display his power and greatness. And everything about this party is an expression of his power. The elaborate decorations, a floor paved with precious stones, goblets of pure gold, wine that never runs out. And it's royal wine. This is the best wine. The king wanted to know whether you were a prince or a peasant. If you were with him and if you followed him, riches would be yours. Now, we might look at King Ahasuerus and think, what a pompous man. What about the poor that he could have helped with that wealth? Just one of those goblets of gold that people were drinking wine from could have been sold in the proceeds, helped a family in great need in the Persian Empire. But before we condemn Ahasuerus, can I ask you this? Is your heart any different? Is is my heart any different? As I said at the beginning of this message, there is something within us all, isn't there, that, that loves attention. We love those feelings when we do something wonderful and people notice as well, even if it's just showing off our latest Zoom virtual background. Reader, take note. There was a study back in 2013 on business ethics in the corporate world and it revealed just the the mere presence of money can have an impact on how employees conducted themselves. So when an employee had the sense that they were going to become rich and the power that that gained them, they were more prone, even just as an ordinary employee, to do something unethical. Friends, 
We may not be exactly like Xerxes, but inside our heart there is something similar. A desire to be known, a desire to be loved, a desire to have power and influence. The only difference between Xerxes and me or between Xerxes and you is our resources. But we share the same heart. And when you have power, it's difficult to let it go particularly if that power is threatened by others. And that's what we see happen in this story in Esther chapter 1. A power player sets up a power play from verse 9 to 22. We won't read it all again, but we see that after this six-month party of Xerxes, Ahasuerus saying, look at me and how wonderful and great I am, the king turns to his nobles and officials and he says, wait, 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 wait. I've got something even better to show you. I'll show you how great I am. I've got, I got one that'll knock your socks off. I want you to see my wife, my queen. Imagine, they're very much inebriated by alcohol at this point, so they're not making the wisest of decisions. And he says, you've got to see her. She's the greatest display of my wealth, and she is so good to look at. And he sends the servants to go and get his queen Vashti and, and he wants her to come in her royal crown. Now, some commentators have suggested that King Azarus, in his drunken state, wanted Queen Vashti to come to the palace room just in her crown and nothing else. But that's conjecture, we don't know that. But whether clothed or unclothed, it's very clear that Vashti was one of the most beautiful women of the ancient world. In fact, we're told in verse 11, the author of Esther mentions Vashti's beauty twice. Did you notice that? Bring Queen Vashti before him with her royal crown. He wanted to show off her beauty to the people and the officials because she was very beautiful. Twice it mentions her beauty But as we see in verse 12, there is something about Vashti that goes beyond her physical appearance, beyond her beauty. She is fierce and not to be messed with. Have a look at verse 12. This is the queen's response to the king's request. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command that was delivered by his eunuchs. The king became furious and his anger burned within him. Now, In our post-feminist world, we might say to Vashti, you go, girl. You don't let that man push you around. Good up for you for standing up for your rights. But this is remarkable. A woman refusing the wishes of the most powerful man in the world, it just wouldn't have happened. And yet, it did. And the king is none too happy about it. We're told he is furious His anger burned within him. So what does he do? What does he do? Well, like a child who has been hurt by another child, he makes decisions based on his emotions, not based on things that are rational. He turns to the law over love. Remember, this is his wife. And he turns to law over love. We won't read verse 13 to 22 again, but let me just summarise it briefly for you so you can see what the king does. First thing he does is he calls in his drunk advisors for advice. And I mean, what better than 
just one drunk person trying to work out what to do than to pull the wisdom of seven other drunk men to find out what to do. You know this is never going to end well. And this is their advice. They tell the king, Vashti hasn't just wronged you, king. She has wronged all the men of the kingdom. And this is what you ought to do. You ought to banish Vashti from the palace. That's the first thing. And the second thing that you ought to do is issue a royal decree across all of the kingdom of Persia that every man ought to be master of his own house. That's the advice of the drunken men. And King Ahasuerus, he thinks, that's a great idea. That's what I will do. And so what starts out as a domestic disagreement in many ways turns into an empire-wide power play by an insecure king and his drunken male advisors to hold on to the power that they think they have and need. And friends, the sad truth of this story is it's not an isolated historical event. There are still power plays like this that happen all too frequently. We continue to see exhibitions of governments parading their military to cameras so that people can see their greatness and their might. And the domestic power plays of husbands over wives is all too frequent still today, particularly when alcohol is involved. Last Wednesday was the National Domestic Violence Remembrance Day. Last Wednesday. And so I looked up some articles on domestic violence, particularly in the coronavirus season that we're in. And according to 1-800-RESPECT, one of the phone lines to help people dealing with domestic and family abuse, they've reported an 11% increase in domestic violence cases in the month of April this year as opposed to last year. An 11% increase. Why? They said because people are now forced to isolate in their homes, aggravating any potential domestic issues that have been there all along. The UN has also recently released a report saying that if there is a six-month lockdown to stop the spread of coronavirus around the world, it would likely lead to 31 million additional domestic violence cases worldwide. It's a growing problem within a problem. And I doubt that Christian marriages are immune from this either. And friends, if that's you today, if that's you today, then can I please commend to you the 1-800-RESPECT phone line. Call them up today. Get the help that you need. Feel free to contact me at the church and I will get you connected with people that can help you as well. And if you are someone, if you are someone that needs to hurt women physically, emotionally, spiritually, to try and retain some kind of power or being the master of your own house, then can I say to you that that says more about your insecurity and your weakness as a man rather than any inherent greatness you think is yours. And the irony that we see in Esther chapter 1, the more you want to tighten your grip on power, like tightening your grip around water, it just seeps through your fingers. And we can see that with 
King Ahasuerus here in chapter 1 of Esther. Despite his opulent display of power, we see he is vulnerable. The irony of agreeing to issue a decree across the kingdom of Persia means that everybody is going to hear about his marital problems and the issues within his family. We also see he is easily manipulated by his advisors and he loses his queen. The whole exaggerated way that this author of Esther is presenting the king of Persia is meant to provoke in us a question. Is he really a king? Is he really the king? The king of kings? Who really is king? And though it's not clear, at least on the surface, the author of Esther wants us to know that King Ahasuerus, King Xerxes, he's not really the king of kings. He's an insecure man. The true king is God himself. And if we have eyes to see it, God is not absent on these pages of the book of Esther. Yes, we don't see his visible hand of miracle, but his invisible hand of providence is there if we would but see it working in and through and behind all things for the good of his people. In the very human decisions of Esther chapter 1, events have now started to roll forward, which would change the very fabric of history. Vashti is gone, sadly, but that will pave the way for a Jewish orphan girl named Esther to ascend to the throne, to become queen of Persia which will ultimately lead to the salvation and protection of God's people. Do you think that's a coincidence? I don't think so. If we have eyes to see it, God is present, working behind the scenes. He is sitting on the throne and he is moving earthly kings and queens around as if they were just playing cards. That is true power. And can I say that God is a much better king than King Ahasuerus or Xerxes. God never uses his power for selfish gain. God never uses his power just to show off. God uses his power to save others. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writes this about God when he became man in the person of Jesus. And this is what King Jesus did to display his greatness. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 11. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men, And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. When God became a man in the person of Jesus, 
He didn't throw his divine weight around. He was never drunk and out of control. He never abused the women in his life. Rather, he had compassion and cared for them. And when it came to the end, he would much rather lay his glory aside, humble himself, even humiliate himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why? Because he cared more about you and about me than holding on to his own power. He was prepared to sacrifice himself to lift us up to be in heaven with him for all eternity. Friends, the message of Esther chapter 1, indeed, the message of the entire Bible is this. True greatness is not measured by personal success, but by personal sacrifice. Let me say that again. True greatness is not measured by personal success, but by personal sacrifice. True greatness is a willing to put others first, not be first. True greatness is a willingness to serve rather than be served. And that is particularly important for husbands to hear this day, Mother's Day. Jesus never issued a worldwide decree like King Ahasuerus saying that husbands ought to demand respect from their wives. In the New Testament, and even from the Apostle Paul, has often been used to denigrate women. Never said anything like that. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 said that respect is the free response of a wife to the love of her husband. A love that is of the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, Philippians 2. A love that is willing to sacrifice themselves for the good of their wife. But of course, this advice is not just for husbands today. It's advice for all of us, whoever we are, husband or wife, mother or father, son or daughter, CEO or church leader. This is advice that we all need to hear. True greatness is not measured by personal success, but by personal sacrifice. It's when you sacrifice time today on Mother's Day to ring your mum. It's you sacrifice time today, parents, to play with your kids. This advice is seen when you use your phone to call up someone who might be isolated during this time rather than just using your phone to check out how many likes you've got on Instagram. This advice is seen when you download an app that, yes, it might be an intrusion into your privacy, but it is for the good of others to limit the spread of an infectious disease. True greatness is not measured by personal success, but by personal sacrifice. We all have a desire to be great. Can I commend to you the way that the Lord Jesus, the true King of Kings, expressed his greatness? not by trying to hold on to power at all costs, but by willing to let it go for the good of others. That's true greatness. And that's the greatness I want to commend to you this morning. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to to grasp, to hold on to at all costs, but who humbled himself, gave up himself for the good of others.
Father, protect us from that attitude of King Ahasuerus, from that desire to abuse our power for selfish gain. Help us to follow in the footsteps of Christ. Thank you that you give us your spirit, empowering us from the inside to live this out. And we pray that you would move in our hearts now, that we might give expression to this greatness this day in our relationships with our parents and our children, in the way that we just use our smartphone today. Help us to follow and pursue true greatness, the greatness of personal sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen.